Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use and wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Hello, this is Dr. Dyke Drummond with the latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Um, we're in beautiful Seattle, Washington, but I'm talking to Dennis Hirsch from PAHealthLaw.com, who's actually in Middleton, PA. For those of you who are of a certain age, that used to be famous in your mind for Three Mile Island. It's also where Dennis's law practice is located. And I ran into Dennis at the White Coat Investor Conference in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago. He has a very interesting service he provides for doctors that I think all of you need to know about, and that is contract review. So when you are going to a contract on a new job, Dennis will review your contract. And, and what I've asked him is, when you're reviewing contracts with doctors that are getting a new job, what are some of the themes that you see in, number one, the behavior of the doctor that could be optimized? And number two, the clauses of the contract that we need to watch out for. So Dennis, we were talking just a second ago about the various different things, but let's let's do the inner game. Because what you told me that is that you've noticed there's a significant shift between when you're interviewing and you're only a candidate and when they've given you an offer. And there's a significant shift on the outside that should cause a significant shift in the doctor's insides. Let's talk a little bit about that. What have you right. seen? Well, the thing is, you don't get to that position without being competitive your whole life. You know, you competed in college, you, in med school, you're looking for the perfect match. You know, you're trying to be the head resident. You've always been competing. And so you get very competitive and now you're in a job situation and there may be other people applying. So you're still competing, which is what you do. Everything switches when they give you a job offer. You have to realize that they've invested probably a lot of money if there's a recruiter involved, certainly a lot of time. A lot of physicians, highly paid physicians, have been looking over your CV, maybe interviewing you. So they want you. They've decided they want you. So once the offer is made, you're not competing anymore. You have to realize that they are competing for you. And I see all the time that physicians keep competing. You know, I, I want to, oh, this is their contract. They said it's their standard contract. I better sign it. They said they'd like it back tomorrow. Uh, you know, can you just do a quick once over? I just want to sign it. And uh, it, it just isn't the case anymore. Once they've decided on you, you have to realize the competition's over. Well, and it's interesting. I said this to you earlier when you told me about this. As a doctor who's been in the situation of, trying to get into medical school and residency and jobs and things like that. I don't see it as competing. I see it as fear. It's the classic fear that originated in your medical school interviews. Pick me, pick me. I hope they'll pick me. What can I do to make them pick me? So it's more like fear. It sounds like if I've got an offer and a contract on the table, I am in. And now it sounds like I potentially have some bargaining power that I might not realize. Absolutely. As I said, they've invested in you at this point. I mean, especially if they, as I said, there's a lot of money involved. Recruiters make a fortune. 
They brought you in. They flew you across the country, put you up in a hotel, took you to the best restaurant in town and probably implied that's where you'll be eating every night. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and meantime, it's four physicians doing this who are not seeing patients you right. know, who are walking you around. That's a significant investment. They don't want you to say, hey, thanks, but no thanks. You know, they're invested in you. Now, that's not saying I'd like you to triple the salary and I want to work three hours a week. Right. You know, you have to be somewhat reasonable, but they've got a big investment in you at that point and they want you to be there. So, yes, you have a lot of leverage. You've got more than just your toe in the door, especially I would think, too, it's probably a power move for you to be able to say, thanks for the contract. I'll have my legal team evaluate it. And then you're there in their back pocket. Again, like I said, Dennis does contract review for physicians. We'll talk about how you can contact him through pahealthlaw.com and a little 10% special he's running for our people. By the way, in case you're wondering, there is no financial relationship between Dennis and me, none whatsoever. I can attest to that. Okay, cool. So they've given me a contract. I realize, okay, I can, I can breathe. I've got some leverage here. And one of the other things you said was interesting is doctors' eagerness to start when there needs to be some a set of action steps to onboard them. It may actually be a time when you can take your time and maybe even take a little bit of a break. Say something about that for us. Yeah, a lot of people um, figure that they're getting a job as a reward from the universe, but the employer is hiring you because they expect you to make money for them, which means you need to be full credentialed at the hospital and all the managed care players. Hospitals in particular, um, if you're expecting to get credentialed in the summer, it's going to be very slow. You know, the place gets deserted, everybody's on vacation. And a lot of times a credentialing committee is unpaid physicians. So they can't say you will be here August 4th. You know, they, they have to go around and see when everybody's available. So a lot of times credentialing can get delayed. And I see a lot of physicians coming out of training moving into town, maybe signing a lease, even a mortgage, and then being told, yeah, don't, don't come in Monday. It's your start date, but we haven't got you credentialed at the hospital yet, or you know, the big payer hasn't credentialed you yet. So just sit there and uh, wait until, until everything's together. That's one of the issues I really try and negotiate hard, that we should be willing to sit down in good faith and work at it. You know, if you're not credentialed at the hospital, if you're a hospitalist, that's a problem. Obviously. Right. But right. Um, if you're not credentialed at the hospital, maybe other physicians can admit patients for you and do rounds. Uh, you know, if, the major, if a big payer hasn't credentialed you, we can probably schedule patients with other payers with you for a short period of time. So, the, the employer ought to be willing to sit down and negotiate. At the same time, you have to be reasonable too. You know, if you're only working 30 hours a week, you probably shouldn't expect to get paid full time while you're waiting for credentialing. But I see so many of these that say, we can terminate this agreement if you're not credentialed at the start date, or it's in our sole discretion, or we can postpone for 60 days. You know, why 60 days? If you get credentialed the day after the start date, you know, we can we can postpone for this. So that's a provision start date that usually bears a whole lot of careful looking at. And a lot of people just don't think of it. It's like, yeah, August 1, I can start then. Great. Let's go. Right. And I had not thought about this until we were talking just a minute ago as well. It's also potentially an opportunity for you coming out of residency or fellowship or off a bad job 
to take a break, at least a couple of weeks to recharge your batteries. My experience is that when you're coming off a bad job or training, it often takes you several months to realize just exactly how beat down and exhausted you are. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and I, and I have physicians that say, well, let's see, you know, I'm getting the, I'm doing my boards on the 24th. So yeah, I can start on the 28th. Yeah, there you go. I'll move into town while I'm working on the boards and then I'll take Saturday and Sunday off and then I'll be a show up at work. And it's like, no, I mean, you can, but think about that, you know? And then you mentioned that another big area is the termination clause, the the notice clause inside the termination clause. Speak a little bit about that. Because here, I think we can actually potentially make people some money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I always try to negotiate that as long as possible. And and Dyke and I were talking, you know, maybe that's not a good idea. In some instances, if you're really burned out, maybe you want to be able to walk out. But most contracts, and certainly if it doesn't, you should put it in, should give the employer the ability to terminate and pay you and just say, look, it's 90 days, get out of here. (laughs) We're going to pay you for 90 days, but this is your notice. And if it's not in there, it should be in there. You also obviously have the ability to to try and negotiate a longer without cause termination, which I usually urge. The, The reason being, we talked about start dates. It's the same thing. If you're at an existing place, you're going to need to probably get credentialed at a new hospital. Managed care companies are crazy. I mean, I've had private practices that literally moved their office across the street and had to re-credential with managed care companies. Oh my. Like, you know, we don't know anybody at that address. Can you prove you went to medical school? You know, you've been seeing patients of ours for five years, but we need to see proof of medical school again. So the credentialing can take a long time. And that's why I urge at least 120 days if you can get it. So you don't have a break in income if they terminate you. Gotcha. And so let's just be really clear. Even though the physician may may have a fantasy of a nightmare scenario where I need a short termination clause, you talk about a, a 90 to 120 day termination clause, because if they terminate you, they would have to pay you for that difference if it was written into that clause. Exactly. It exactly. You, it gives you an income cushion and a space between here and your next job if you have to quit expeditiously. Yeah. And we were also talking uh, before we started recording that very few people want a physician who doesn't want to be there. So right. there's a reasonably good chance that if you give notice, unless they're just horribly shorthanded, there's a reasonably good notice that they might very well turn around and say, look, thanks for the 90 day notice. Why don't you just quit next Monday and we'll pay you? Because as I said, nobody wants a physician that doesn't want to be there. Right. Okay, great. And then when we first met, this is the one that uh, fascinated me the most. When you are reviewing somebody's contract, you actually do a salary analysis to make sure they're paying you appropriately. Tell us about that. Well, Medical Group Management Association, or MGMA, does very detailed benchmarks. Now, the detail is going to depend on the specialty. You know, a family medicine physician, I can get very, very granular. A retinal surgeon, maybe not quite as much. But in most specialties, you can actually take it down to say within this state or two states, a physician with this many years of service, this many years out of training, this is the median income, and this is the median WRBU production, which is kind of good in two things. Uh, One, 
if they are paying you below median, that's obviously something we need to discuss. You know, if you think I'm below median, why are you hiring me? I think is a reasonable question. Do but you the always hire you... doctors who are below average? <laughs> <laughs> is there such a thing? <laughs> Um, like Lake Wobegon, I think. <laughs> That's the opposite of Lake Wobegon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also WRVU production. I see so many where they're paying you a little bit under median, and then we'll give you a bonus if you match this WRVU count, which happens to be somewhere between the 75th and the 90th percentile. So there's huge gap in what you're being paid and the production that's expected of you. So we look at that. MGMA also does things like signing bonus, relocation allowance, vacation, CME allowance. So you get a really good idea of, of how the offer shakes out, you know, financially and lifestyle, honestly, with, as I said, vacation and paid time off. Well, and you were also talking about those kinds of bonus, sign-on bonus, uh, loan forgiveness, fellowship stipends, relocation. You were also saying a lot of times there are chunks of language that will refer to those need to be repaid if you don't work here for X amount of time. Say a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, which is reasonable. First of all, a lot of times I have to ask for things like a fellowship stipend. If you're in fellowship, a lot of places will pay you $1,500 a month until you start work, but only if you ask, obviously. And some offer it immediately, but some you have to ask. But most of these say, we'll give you a signing bonus, we'll pay a relocation allowance, we will maybe give you a fellowship stipend, but you have to repay it if you don't work here, let's say three years, the initial term of the contract. And in general, I think that's fair. You shouldn't take their take all their money and then, you know, first week say, yeah, I don't like it here. You know, I'm heading to Seattle. But at the same time, you know, because it's great there. Um, but at the same time, there ought to be some protection uh, and it should be amortized. I see some that if you went there, you know, three years or two years, 11 months and 28 days, you would have to repay the whole signing bonus. So it should be amortized, you know, it should be forgiven over some reasonable period of time. I think never more than three years. And there should also be exceptions. Uh, most of them say, if you don't work here for any reason in three years, so if you have the audacity to be to die in a plane crash or step in front of a bus or become disabled, uh, you have to repay that signing bonus, which obviously isn't fair. And some of them, even if we terminate you without cause, you still have to repay the signing bonus. So those are exceptions. Again, I don't, I don't think it's unfair to make you do some service in return for that money, but it's, you know, it's got to be, if it's not your fault that you're not, there should be an exception for that. There frequently is. Yeah. And these, that's a comprehensive set of, of conditions and exceptions and, and eventualities that I'm, I'm certainly wouldn't have in my knowledge base as a practicing physician. So it's wonderful. You probably have a checklist for the whole thing, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> awesome. It's actually on my website. <laughs> okay, great. And then uh, let's talk about non-compete clauses. Well, we were talking about that earlier too. And as, as you said, there's a whole lot of them that'll never be enforced. And uh, physicians will look at it and say, it's okay, it'll never be enforced. And they're probably right. There's a good chance a court wouldn't enforce it. The problem is, and can I tell my war story? Sure. I represented a physician. I didn't do his first contract, I hasten to point out, but he signed a contract that had a 65 mile covenant not to compete. 
He was looking at a hospital 63 miles away. And I mean, we got an engineer to check the distance. It was 63 miles. So I was talking to the general counsel of the new hospital, and we both agreed the, the other hospital would be crazy to enforce this because a court is never going to enforce that against him. 63 miles away. A court's never going to enforce it. If they went to court and lost, now all their restrictive covenants would be thrown out the door. So it would be crazy for that first hospital to sue. I thought everything was settled. About a week later, the general counsel called me back and said, you know, we were talking about it. We don't want to take the risk of getting sued. We're not going to hire them. So you have to realize that the market will enforce these restrictive covenants, even though maybe a court wouldn't. And as I said, nobody's going to look at it and say, oh, mega health's uh, restrictive covenant, that's unreasonable. The court won't enforce it. People are going to say, I don't want to tangle with mega health. So you really have to take them seriously and, and make, get a reasonable covenant. Well, and, and when you're looking at uh, non-compete clauses, what do you think is reasonable? What's an example of a reasonable clause? Gener- it, it depends, the famous lawyer saying, but Generally five miles. Now, you know, if you're in Montana and all your patients are driving 30 miles for groceries, then, you know, five miles is not longer than that is reasonable. If, if you're in Manhattan, I've seen as little as like eight blocks. Uh, oh, wow. You know, because, well, think about it. Manhattan, five miles takes you pretty much off the island. Right. So, so it's dependent. But my general rule is five, five miles for a year. Gotcha. Um, is, is what I shoot for. Five miles for a year. Wow, that's the tightest one I've ever heard. I like it. <laughs> it's a place to start negotiations. Yeah, I don't always get it. Right. <laughs> you right. got to ask. <laughs> well, and then the last thing we talked about just now is uh, something that's coming up more and more, and that's the whole issue of tail coverage, if you leave. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, now most hospitals will pay tail unless they terminate you for cause, but it's getting to the point that most other employers unless you put it in specifically, don't pay tail. And tail is enormously expensive. I mean, it can be uh, two years salary sometimes or or half a year's salary, very commonly, depending on your specialty and stuff. So you really do have to be very cognizant of who's responsible for tail coverage. And I always put in something, if you, there's two kinds of, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but there's two kinds of malpractice insurance. There's occurrence and claims made. Occurrence will cover you for any claim that occurs while you had the policy. So if a lawsuit's filed in two years, it occurred while the policy was in, you're covered. But claims made covers you for any case that comes in, that any claim that is made during the policy period. So if you leave in December and February, a case is filed, you're not covered by that insurance. So you need to buy tail. So a lot of people will say, oh, no, we don't give tail. We have occurrence insurance. And I usually kind of take the second step and say, that's fine, but let's put it in if you buy claims made insurance that you will buy the tail, which if you think about it, it's not a big ask. Uh, you know, you're saying you cover it now. So let's just make sure that you always will cover it. Well, and I'm assuming if I'm the usual neophyte doctor, which I was with my first contract, I just signed the darn thing. I did read it, but it seemed reasonable to me. I would think that boilerplate would have start dates, uh, termination clauses, salaries, non-compete, and tail coverage that would be in favor of the institution for the most part. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see some that say your start date is this date. And if you're not fully credentialed at that point, at our option, we can terminate the agreement. 
um, or we can extend it for 60 days, which you know could be your credential the day after your start date, but they have the ability to say, yeah, we'll start you in 59 days because the contract says that. So that's something that usually takes a fair amount of negotiation. You know, both sides have to be flexible. But if you're not credentialed at a hospital, maybe somebody else can admit patients and do rounds. If you're not credentialed by one payer, maybe they can just make sure you're not scheduled with patients of that payer. Um, you know, so there are things you can do, but you don't necessarily have to be sitting on your hands waiting. In, in your negotiations, and then we'll wrap this up, I'm just wondering, of all these different clauses and chunks of a contract, which ones are the employer most likely to use as a negotiable bargaining chips and which ones do they hold on to and not negotiate? Restricted covenants are tough, especially on a health system. A lot of times they legitimately do have the same. And, and sometimes it's crazy. It's That's the same one that internal medicine physicians in a clinic have which is the same one that a hospitalist or a pathologist has, you know, and you say, well, how is a hospitalist going to take, take patients away? Or how's a pathologist going to take patients away? But that one's tough. Usually start dates, they're a little more flexible on because they realize they wouldn't be hiring you if they didn't need a physician. And most places, once they decide they need a physician means they really should have had one six months ago. Everybody's being driven into the ground. Right. So now they'll start to start the search process and then, you know, let it play out. So it's kind of in their best interest too. If we can get you in seeing some patients, we really want to do that. Um, gotcha. So a lot of times they're flexible on that. Right on. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up here? Anything else you want people to know? No, just what you mentioned. Anybody that, uh, takes a contract review package off of my website and uses happy as a coupon gets 10% off. Okay, great. So let's be really specific. This has been Dennis Hirsch living in the three mile Island city of Middletown, Pennsylvania, <laughs> PA as in Pennsylvania abbreviation. Well, P physician agreements actually. Oh, really? Yeah, PA. Okay. Yeah. So PA physician agreement, Pennsylvania, <laughs> healthlaw.com, PA healthlaw.com. And if you purchase a contract review package, and use a coupon code of the word HAPPY for HAPPYMD.com, our, our home website, you get 10% off the package. That's cool. Dennis and I, like I said, do not have a financial relationship. And um, Dennis, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I saw you sitting next to me in the in the vendor hall at the uh, White Coat Investor Conference, and I thought, wow, I could have used that back in the day. <laughs> so there is a primer, a primer on clauses in physician employment contracts. And remember, on the inside, the inner game, once you're at the contract phase, they have chosen you. You can relax into a position of having some influence over the structure of the contract. It's no more pick me, pick me, fear-based stuff. Cool. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. So this has been Dyke Drummond and Dennis Hirsch in the latest of our Physicians on Purpose podcast from beautiful Seattle, Washington. I've got links. I've got a, a bulleted list of our topics here underneath uh, the frame in our podcast delivery or our video website, depending on how you're taking part here today. Until we meet again on the next podcast, you just keep breathing and have a great rest of your day.